Hey everyone, it's May and welcome to the May Lee Show. Uh, I know it's been a couple weeks since I've put out an episode and I do apologize for that, but I think I have kind of a legit excuse, but you be the judge of it. Um, the reason why I haven't put out an episode is because I've been kind of uh, swamped with the start of the fall semester at USC. As many of you know, I'm an adjunct professor there in the journalism school. And I had a lot of added pressure this fall because I had started a brand new course that I developed called Asian American History and Journalism. And I started this class, I pitched the idea earlier uh, this spring, this past spring, in light of everything that was going on with anti-Asian hate in this country. And of course, you know, we've all realized that part of the reason why this hate exists and this racism exists against Asians is the lack of education, the lack of knowledge, the the lack of information when it comes to the AAPI community and our history. Um, There is no information out there that's taught in schools or even just, you know, just overall uh, within society about the fact that there's a long history when it comes to Asian Americans and that that 150-plus-year history includes a lot of persecution and struggle and suffering and oppression uh, and events that nobody knows much about. So I decided to pitch this course to USC in light of all of this, in response to the fact that this information wasn't out there enough. And so thankfully, USC immediately approved it, and we fast-tracked this course. Now, the problem with doing it the way I did it was that it was introduced so late uh, to students to sign up for that a lot of students had already filled their schedules for the fall semester. So I was really, really nervous, to be quite honest, that nobody was going to sign up for this class or that it was just so late that, you know, it just wouldn't fly. Um, But initially... A couple weeks before the semester started, three students had signed up, and I was like, oh, man, is that even enough for this course to keep going or even get going? But I decided to go go ahead, and then, um, sure enough, I have now a total of seven students. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I have been told by uh, colleagues at USC who are seasoned uh, faculty members, they say, you know, May, don't worry, because... A course that is new, brand new course, and that was introduced so late in the game, it's surprisingly wonderful that you actually have seven students in this class. And in many ways, it's kind of nice because it's a more intimate class where we can actually really, really dig deep into issues uh, and talk about things that we all care about and maybe we're too afraid to speak about in a bigger crowd, in a more mixed crowd. And so I feel like this class has created a safe space for these students. And I got to tell you, the first class was amazing. The seven students were immediately so open and so honest about their own experiences and their ideas of being Asian American and their desire to learn more about the AAPI experience and history and how that applies to how stories are told, how the media covers events, and how that has led to stereotypes and misrepresentation and misleading narratives because our stories have never, in the past at least, never been controlled by us 
these stories have been co- controlled by outsiders, you know, the in the in the in the past, the white majority. So these students right off the bat, and I have a mixture of undergrad students and grad students, they were so eager to embrace everything about what this course represents, but also really engage with each other. And so I was thrilled on day one. I was absolutely thrilled. Now we just finished um, week three. Um, So we had uh, our third class uh, just the other day. And it was great because I uh, decided to uh, dedicate part of my lecture to Shang-Chi, the movie that obviously debuted recently to, uh, and you know, uh, broke all kinds of box office records. So huge congrats to Shang-Chi and, and uh, everyone who was involved with that movie. Um, but we def- definitely dug deep into uh, the storyline and the representation and the significance and the impact. Uh, mostly good, but man, these students are perceptive and they're willing to go deeper and really push the envelope on uh, subjects and issues. And they gave even me some insight that I didn't even think about with the movie. One I'm going to share with you. One being that why is it that every Marvel superhero character um, in in the movies um, has a love interest and there's a romantic, you know, interlude or some sort of very obvious romantic connection. Uh, But for some reason, Shang-Chi, the first Asian superhero, didn't have one. Now, Katie, who's played by Aquafina, there's implication, it's implied that maybe they have something, but not quite, but it, they never connect on that romantic level, right? So we started talking about that and started wondering, um, it, was it too much to have an Asian superhero, because that's a huge history-making you know, event in itself, so was it too much to then have this Asian superhero be a romantic lead as well? Fascinating. I didn't even think about that until one of my students brought it up. So we had a really interesting discussion about that. So this is how this class is going. Um, but we have also obviously covered everything from Chinese immigration, uh, the persecution of Chinese laborers, um, you know, the Page Act, uh, the massacre, the Chinese massacre, the massacre in Wyoming, um, we, Chinese exclusion, uh, Wong Kim Ark. I mean, we, we're definitely going through the historical events uh, throughout 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 uh, American history. So it's been fascinating. It's been exhausting, uh, but in a very good way. Um, so this episode, I actually asked permission for my students. I had asked them to do one assignment um, recently which was to write a personal essay, short one, on why they wanted to take this class and what their own experiences have been uh, with being Asian American. And their essays were fascinating because they represent a cross-section of not only Asian backgrounds, uh, but also perspectives. So I decided to uh, video record uh, the six students, uh, and when they read their essays in class. And so I decided to put that together and make the short episode because I think it's a great thing to hear the voices of younger people and 
what they think is important and how they feel about their identity and what their expectations are. So here are the six students reading each of their personal essays. I've come to terms with the fact that I will never fit in. I'm okay with it because my truth and experiences are enriched because of the adversity I've overcome. Curly hair didn't belong in Japanese school any more than slanted eyes at an Egyptian church till I made it. Burning my hair every day from a flat iron in the third grade was only the beginning of my struggles to fulfill beauty standards, equal opportunity, and kindness. Through struggles earlier in my life, my uniqueness allowed me to stand out as a journalist who is now attending USC for my master's degree. The lessons I learned in my youth about leaning into your differences and being at peace with standing apart from the crowd allowed me to put 100% into my academics, and I hope, and I, hope I find uh, myself doing the same thing in this course. This class will allow me to find my potential, pitch new stories, investigate deeper, and discover powerful voices in other Asian women. Hearing the struggles, st the stories of struggle and adversity sparked an interest in how I could apply my journalistic skills to help communities. I want to be here to learn the history of my people and explore why, as a community, do we feel the way that we feel. As I mentioned in class, I sadly don't know much about my Japanese heritage. Growing up half Egyptian and half Japanese, I have never felt a sense of belonging in both communities. I hope this course will not only become that community and learning space for me, but an environment where others can share their stories to enrich the experience. That said, I'm looking forward to everything this course will teach me about, but also challenge myself to make others around me on and off campus question their opinions and be open to new information and ideas surrounding APITA issues and history. APITA history uh, showcases all the struggles and triumphs of the Asian Pacific Islander Desi population and what our country has done to combat these issues. As the fastest growing population in the US, it's quite alarming to see firsthand how unrecognized of a community we are. We are the quiet minority. We keep our heads down as our pa parents tell us to, and this is why we get treated poorly. A huge part of APITA history underlies Congress passing a joint resolution in 1978 that proclaimed the, the first week of May as Asian Pacific American History Week and what it truly means for our people. In 1990, this week of observance expanded to a month. As I go further into my education, I come to find out how important it is to know who I am, what my ancestors have sacrificed for me to be here, and how that applies to my children's children. I hope this class can highlight that history as I learn from my peers and instructor. All in all, my struggles have reinforced my desire to explore, understand, and make an impact on the world. By always seeking out the questions and wanting to hear the answers, I'm longing to create change. I'm excited to see a course like this that speaks without actually saying, we matter, our history matters, and should be taught in K-12 history courses. And as a society, we need to pay more attention to others and be aware of our mutual struggle to survive. Knowledge has a beginning but no end. The readings from this week definitely reminded me of this adage. The Chinese railroad workers, Japanese internment camps, and the tragic death of Vincent Chin make up only a small portion of APITA history. As a Chinese slash Taiwanese American, I have to admit that I pay more attention to news within my community. However, creating solidarity among Asian American groups is more important than ever. If we don't help each other, who will? It is not until finishing the reading that I realized that an Asian American died like George Floyd but received almost no public attention. Yes, Black Lives Matter and many Asian Americans walk on the streets to support this movement, which is great. Nevertheless, how can we support others when we fail to support ourselves? Uh, similar to the case of Breonna Taylor, we need justice for Angelo Quinto. Is that how I pronounce his mm -hmm. name? 
And in the case of religion, it was surprising to learn about the shooting of a Sikh temple in 2012. Peace, love, rights, these are the words associated with religion when I think of it. I am a Buddhist and I would love to learn more about religious tensions caused by politics. For the longest time, I shy away from political news because there was a misconception that it is all about politicians' games. Yet their games have the power to impact our lives, especially our safety today. Additionally, it was shocking to learn about discrimination in the academic field towards Asian Americans. The Harvard professor who allegedly contributed to China's Thousand Talents Plan encountered a regular legal procedure. On the other hand, Taiwanese American scientist Wen Ho Li was in jail for nine months after being accused of sharing nuclear information with China, not to mention that he was innocent. Outside of government influence, the media helped shape individuals' attitudes towards Asian Americans. Currently interning at the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, I look forward to any potential collaborations between the initiative and this class. And thanks to Professor Lee's recommendation, I watched two episodes of The Chair over the weekend. The film is, success, uh, is successful in portraying Asian Americans and mental health. When I see the character Ji Won, I don't see her as another typical Asian American person. I see her as a woman chair. Also, it is a smart choice to discuss mental health through a young character. Generally, people are more understanding when it comes to children. If the media industry continues to produce in such quality, there will be less Christian whole cases. And mental illness has a negative connotation in many Asian cultures, and Asian Americans' perception of mental illness inevitably alters how others treat Asian Americans who have mental health conditions. Asian American mental health will be another meaningful project to develop in this class. Growing up, my personal grapple with my own skin color and cultural identity hasn't always been an easy journey. As a yellow kid growing up in Portland, Oregon, arguably one of the whitest cities in America, I constantly felt like I was stuck in between worlds. In high school, I remember learning about American history, but the majority of it was just white American history, with a few mentions of a PETA history here and there. And when such a PETA topics would come up, the teachers would only spend a class or two brushing over the Vietnam and Korean War, Jap Japanese internment camps, or Chinese Exclusion Act before quickly moving on. Therefore, my knowledge of a PETA history was, sever was severely limited back then, but something in me always yearned to learn more. Seeing a year of high school, I decided to marry this desire with my interest in Hollywood history. For my senior writing class, I hence dedicated the subject of my research paper to the history of Asian portrayals in Hollywood, which allowed me to research into topics like yellow face, whitewashing, and stereotypes. From there, I was able to examine the relationship between those harmful portrayals and the consequent historical events and treatments of the APIDA community. I remember one concept really stood out to me, the idea of APIDA as perpetual foreigners, a label that American history has long viewed our community with. The consequence of such rhetoric has created a ripple effect that still lasts until today, prominently with the rise of attacks against our Asian community these past few years. Since then, my interest in APIDA only, history only grew. Entering college, I began to take ethnic studies class where I learned about Vincent Chin, history of black and Asian solidarity, and the 1992 LA riots, among many more. I also joined cultural clubs, namely the Vietnamese and Filipino student orgs here at USC, where for the first time, I felt like I had a safe space to discuss my experience while learning about my people's history. That's why when I heard the news about this class, I knew I had to sign up for it. There's so much about our APIDA history that I never got to learn about in high school, 
And I know this class would help me understand not only all of that, but also even more of my own cultural identity. After all, to borrow Marcus Garvey's wise word, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. Through this class, I hope to not only learn more about my people's roots, but also to understand, reflect on, and anchor myself to them. By knowing more about APITA history, I hope to grow into a future Asian American change maker and carry on the torch to ensure our stories are accurately and authentically heard, recorded, and passed down for generations to come. So in 2012, I went to Pomona College to get away from my Asian American identity. Instead, it ended up bringing me closer than ever to my roots. I wouldn't say I resented my Asian American identity growing up. It's more accurate to say that I just didn't care. I didn't really pay attention in Chinese school and I never really engaged in holidays beyond eating the food my parents had put in front of me. I cared far more about the injustices facing my gender identity than I did about my racial identity. I got into both USC and Pomona for my undergraduate studies, but I ended up picking Pomona for a number of reasons, including the smaller Asian American population. In my mind, this meant I would stand out more with fewer people who looked just like me to compete with. Then I started learning. I learned about the LA riots when I took contemporary Asian American issues in 2012. I learned about Vincent Chin in my Asian American psychology class in 2013. I learned about the 442nd Regiment, the most decorated military unit in US history in 2015, and the low educational attainment of Pacific Islanders in 2016. By 2019, I was getting into arguments with, about the model minority myth in the comment section of Jubilee Media videos and creating videos calling for the disaggregation of API data. Even today, I'm still uncovering parts of the Asian American of Asian American histories in the United States that have been forgotten, ignored, or rendered invisible. I'm coming to realize that a large swath of Asian Americans, like me and my youth, do not know these histories. Since current Asian and Asian American populations in the United States are largely immigrant, it is easy to chase the American dream that is sold to us on paper while remaining ignorant of the histories of those who came before us. However, this ignorance allows the people in power to stay that way. It means we have to relearn the solidarity that Grace Lee Boggs and Yuri Kochiyama spent their lifetimes fostering. It means we wander through Chinatown and Little Tokyo completely unaware of the importance of their very existence. It means we have to rediscuss the political origins of the term Asian American itself over and over again like a never ending cycle. Even if the ignorant stay ignorant, the niggling feeling in the back of all of our minds when people ask us where we're really from or tell us that our English is so good, that feeling won't go away. So to truly understand what it means to be Asian American and to exist in this country as ourselves, it is vital that we all remember. Um, my identity as an Asian American is one that I've never been ashamed of. Growing up, I was constantly surrounded by others who looked like me, friends with silky dark hair, creamy skin, and almond-shaped eyes. I grew up eating Asian food, practicing Asian customs, and taking pride in my Asian heritage. All of this is a result of my upbringing in Honolulu, Hawaii. I often wonder how different my perception of my own ethnic identity would be if I had grown up on the US mainland. After moving to Los Angeles for college, I got my first taste of being what we call in Hawaii, a mainland Asian. Someone who's Asian, but is not an ethnic majority as we are in Hawaii. And I didn't put this in my essay, but just like a little more on that. It's like someone who's kind of whitewashed, a whitewashed Asian. Um, and so I found myself clinging to my Asian identity much more in Los Angeles than I did in Hawaii, which was almost ironic as it would be much easier to practice my Asian-ness back home than in a city dominated by so many other ethnic groups. 
It's ironic to think about how it was only when my Asianness was threatened that I realized its value. As I move into this course this semester, a course so unlike any that would ever be offered in Hawaii, I'm curious to push myself towards feeling uncomfortable in my Asianness once again. After a year and a half back home in Hawaii, I think that I retreated back into a similar level of comfort with my Asian identity as I had before I moved away. Through this course, I hope to learn more about the various ethnic groups encompassing the Apita label, as well as about the challenges faced by these groups, not only when they are portrayed in popular culture and journalistic media, but also in their everyday lives. However, most importantly, I hope to utilize my own passion for journalism in order to connect with my Asian identity in a way that I haven't been able to before, to really take pride in being an Asian American and understanding all of the pros and cons that come with it. I would like to take the time to thank um, first, the first teacher I had at USC, Ashanti Shi. She was a historian that taught me about not only Asian American history that I felt so deprived of, but instilled a desire to continue critically thinking and learning about Apita history and issues. I'm tremendously grateful for her for awakening my most beloved passion. It was from her that I learned of heroes like Yuri Kochiyama and Amy Uematsu, heartbreaking excerpts from the play Honey Bucket, resilient actors like Anna Mae Wong, and targeted legislation against Asian Americans. The lessons and stories from her class play like a broken record in my head, and I think what a shame it is that people don't know what I know. So it wasn't until college that I first had the opportunity to learn about Asian American history, and in being Asian American myself, I felt so many different emotions. Pride, passion, happiness, gratitude, recognition, confusion, and so much more. However, in relearning about the Japanese incarceration particularly, I felt so angry. I was so angry that I was being called the Japanese internment instead of an incarceration. I was angry that my high school AP history classes had the audacity to entertain questions like, was America justified in relocating Japanese Americans? I was angry that Japanese Americans never had full reparations for what they lost. Angry that Japanese Americans were never given the benefit of the doubt that they loved their country. Angry that America had exploited this love and sent Japanese Americans to die for a country that did not care for them. I'm angry that white America continues to exploit Asian Americans for political silence and compliance for temporary rewards of opportunity and advancement. I'm angry at the way America had dared and continues to dare to teach its children that the inc Japanese incarceration was justified. I've clung to this stubborn anger since my first Asian American history class. Maybe it's immature, but I would like to remain angry. There are too many good reasons to remain angry. It makes me loud and bold and courageous. It is this anger that allows me to so passionately re-envision what the Asian American identity I want should be. Race is a social construct, and there is no full mastery. There is only a commitment to learning about Apita histories that continue to evolve and change with new Apita stories. This class gives me the opportunity to continue learning and writing about Asian American experiences, a most sacred and healing form of expression for myself. I write with the most utmost intention, care, intimacy, and most of all, anger I can muster. It's a cherished practice I anticipate I will carry for the rest of my life. Amazing, right? Uh, you know, their stories were so sort of expansive uh, in terms of their different backgrounds and how they were impacted in their own ways. You know, you have a student who's biracial and how she struggled with identity. We had... We have a student who grew up in a nearly all-white environment and how that affected him. We had a student who didn't want to be part of the Asian community when it came to her education because she was afraid that 
it was it would be too competitive and and because of her essay we got into a conversation that day about the whole idea of scarcity mentality uh, when we feel like there are only a few different opportunities for certain groups and so you have to therefore feel like you have to fight for every little piece um, and then having someone from Hawaii that student from Hawaii who never really felt like a minority until she got here so I love that my students are willing to open up like this. And again, I wanted to create this safe space space for them. And that's, I think, something that we all can identify with. Given everything that we have gone through and still are going through uh, right now with anti-Asian hate and sort of the fight for representation and to be heard and not invisible invisibilized anymore, it's just great to create something that allows for open, honest, authentic, raw communication. Uh, And it might be a small group, but I am damn proud of them already because they're willing to be vulnerable, uh, but they're willing to learn because they want things to change for the better. Isn't that what we all want? And if we can work together to inspire the younger generation like my students uh, who really do want to make a difference uh, through education, through knowledge, because they know that knowledge is power. What a great thing. And I'm so honored to be part of that. So I know I'm going to learn just as much as they will in this class. And hopefully I can carry this on at USC and maybe, you know, and maybe spread it across the country in different schools and universities. Who knows? Anyway, if you're part of a school or university, call me. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I thought you might enjoy just hearing that. So I will definitely keep you guys um, updated on the progress of this class and how my students are doing. And and I'll probably share more videos and maybe even projects that they work on uh, throughout the semester on the show, because I think um, it'll be cool for everyone to sort of see um, how this all sort of plays out. All right. Okay, that's it. But uh, hopefully all of you guys are staying safe and healthy. Um, So until next time, take care, everyone.